Hello, it's Andrew May, and welcome to the Performance Intelligence Podcast, Bite Size Edition. This is where we take a clip from a previous podcast and amplify it for you in a snack-sized format. Before we start this episode, I wanted to take a quick moment to ask a favor of you. Please open the podcast app you're listening on right now and hit the follow button. This really supports us growing the podcast and also helps continue to produce high-quality conversations around high performance. You listen to us and we want to listen to you. So please also consider leaving a rating and review. Tell us what you love about this episode and what you'd like to hear more of. Give us some feedback as it really does make a difference to what we're doing behind the scenes. Optimize performance through adapting your physical, psychological, and emotional state. In this bite-sized edition from episode number 52, former Sydney Swan star Ty Canelli shares his story of how he hit rock bottom after losing his job and how his best friend David Eccles helped pull him out of the downward spiral and the dark shadows that Ty was facing. David and Ty talk about how they both found themselves needing a mate to share their troubles and challenges with and how that slowly evolved into the WNOW meetings that take place on beaches across Australia. I've attended their chapter groups in Maroubra and at Balmoral. Wizard, remember the time we went at Balmoral? It was an unseasonably cold morning. We were frozen on the outside, but we were really warm on the inside. It's just a wonderful group that these guys have put together for other men as well to share how they're feeling. And the, the genesis of this is Ty and David looked at how their wives and their wives' friends caught up regularly and had groups or had coffee, and they said, hey, why can't we do the same thing for blokes? And they did. Tyg and David also explain why they believe it's so important for men to take part in a group like this. And if it's not a group, it's just in conversations to be open, to be honest, and to share our feelings with people that are close to us. Let's go back to 2021, Ty, an article in the Sydney Morning Herald. You were not in a good place. You'd lost your assistant coach job with the Sydney Swans and you were feeling pressure to provide for your young family. I get that because you're the high performer. I think you're the only person who's won an All-Irish and an AFL medal. Yeah, yep. You were also drafted to go and play for the Rovers. Mm-hmm. So you could have rounded out all three. <laughs> <laughs> but the high performer, you said in this article, I was known as a resilient man. I guess that's an Irish thing, but probably also a sports thing. Show no weakness. And so I wasn't talking to anybody about it. You want to pick up on that? Yeah, look, it takes me right back there. I was just telling the story itself. And it's very true. I, I was a person that uh, achieved a lot I suppose I was living a life where I'd always put up a guard and um, I'd show no you know show no weakness and that moment when I lost my job I was so vulnerable and I'd never been more vulnerable in my life now I had some tragedy in my life but the fact that I'd lost all control was something from an athlete perspective and a high-performing person where I felt I was always in control of things it took me into a really dark place and I didn't know how to handle it and I didn't know how to get out of it. I'd spent probably six weeks not wanting to leave the house. I'd felt everyone was watching me and looking at me. Oh, there he is. He's just after losing his job. He got the sack, basically. And um, it was until David reached out, or Eccles, David. <laughs> I recently started calling him Dave for some reason, but it, um, Eccles reached out and you know, said, do you want to catch up? And I just started, I suppose, unloading a bit on with, with Eccles. And I wasn't, I, was, I wasn't able to unload with my wife or... I felt like I was a really connected person until that point when I wasn't really connected. And and it wasn't until David reached out and I started going through 
I suppose, a process of unloading and, and talking. And, and we, we met up and we started doing some exercise and having a coffee and just having a chat. And I, it helped me deal with the, the I suppose, the disappointment or the, almost like a loss. But it's also helped me move forward in a way that I don't think I would have moved forward if I hadn't lost my job. I probably still have that guard up today. And it's, it's, it's strange the way things work, isn't it, in, in the world? I read it took you two years to say that lost my job, yeah. sacked. Was your story, your narrative, you know, I was outplaced? You, you couldn't actually use those words, sacked? Yeah, I couldn't because it felt like it was out of my control. And I spent a lot of work in the past two years working on myself and dealing with the perfectionism that I have and trying to take control back of my own life and the things that I can control. And, you know, Bing Cross had a bit of an influence on me on that piece and working and, and researching in, on myself and as, a, as an athlete and a person. Whereas I think being in a background where I, where I grew up around the resilience piece, around sucking it up and don't show any weakness. And I'm an emotional person and, and I struggled with that a lot throughout my playing days and coaching days to be able to show that emotion. And I didn't know how to deal with it and I dealt with it with drink really, I suppose, when I look back on things, what I did during my playing and coaching days to deal with not talking and not showing my emotion. And I think the past two years, I'm such a better person because I've been able to come to terms with it and being able to take control back in my life. And I wasn't able to do that up to that point. And it took me a long time to say the words I got the sack. And because there was a lot of anger, there was, you know, I still felt like I had control if I said I'd lost my job or, you know, but the fact that it, it was someone else that took away something from me, it was a big part of me moving forward and, and the statement in my life. And I get it as well, the role identity, just mm. trying to get in your shoes. You, you're drafted at 18 or 19 years of age. You go all the way across the world to play AFL. You win a premiership. Then you go, right, I'm going to go back to the motherland. I'm going to go win a flag there. You win that. You come back here and you play at a high level again. Then you get into coaching. It's perform, 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 perform. And then you drop. When you're an AFL team, there's 44 players. So you had 43 mates as well as support staff, coaches, and everyone who wants to hang around. And then you go into coaching. You've still got that infrastructure. Then you don't. And then COVID hits. And then you're told you're sacked. Those skills... You hadn't trained. So many men haven't trained. And I, I resonate with this, you know, a little bit about my story. I was good at sport, good at school, good at relationships, you know, worked in sport, and then went through a marriage breakdown. I felt like a failure. Coming from an Irish Catholic background, mum and dad are still together. I didn't have those skills and I hit rock bottom. I, I get it. When you were there, though, in that six weeks, take me back to that place. Yeah, it wasn't a healthy place. I, I remember the phone call itself from, from, from John Longmore and Charlie Gardner, the football manager at the time, and I was in utter shock. I just didn't know how I could deal with it. I was, what's happened, it, it felt like my world had really crashed. And I took myself straight to my kids. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? How am I going to help my kids? Uh, you know, we've, we've got these financial burdens. It was straight to my kids and to my wife. It was a bit less me initially. It wasn't about me. It was more to, to the provider, the old mentality of the man's got to provide. And I went there and, I, and that's probably because of my upbringing and, you know, the big the man of the house. And here I am. I'd lost my job. And, you know, who are you now? And, and that's where I went for a long part of the, the whole thing, you know, and it wasn't until I, I faced up to it and, and fronted it. And, and that's where probably the, the sporting analogy came to lean into the discomfort of it and actually started to own it a bit. Through David's conversation, through eventually being able to talk to my wife about it and moving forward, you know, 
I was a miserable, miserable, and and pity, pity was something that was was part of who I was for a long, long time, and it wasn't a good place, and I wasn't good for myself. Certainly, wasn't good for my children, and, and that time in the world where there was a lot going on with COVID, and we were isolated a lot. And my wife's looking at this man inside in the house that's got a lot of self pity, and you know, just I'm a high energy person, and it was just the life was sucked out of me. And when I read that story, because knowing you, seeing you, even the way you play, like you, you. You do the Irish jig, you'd have a bit of fun. You're you're always a bit of a lad, so to get to to bottom out like that, yeah, your family, your your, your wife and kids, I'm sure they were looking, thinking, what's going on here? Yeah, they were. And my wife, I, we talk about it now since you know, and she didn't really know how to handle it herself because she was used to seeing this high energy, high bubbly, you know, fun, which is very much who I am now. And you know, a lot of my purpose in my life is to be a, a playful dad. That's what my, one of my big key pillars of my life is to be a playful dad and I wasn't that and I think when I went through that whole experience of botting him out basically the dealing with the failure was a big piece because of my performances as a footballer and an athlete and also the getting away from the identity of being a footballer was another piece of actually trying to um, heal uh, and I've managed to do that since the whole thing has happened but at the time I was it wasn't a healthy place and I've got unbelievable admiration for my wife because of the time and what was going on. She was uncertain about her own job. We got three kids, new house, you know, all these things that are going on. I mean, there's our husbands, it's you know, sitting in the bed, just not wanting to get out of bed in the mornings, you know, which is unbelievable admiration for Nicole. We could do a whole different podcast on role identity inextricably linked to self-identity. I know so many athletes, you know so many athletes. When you are the job when you are the role that's where it comes tumbling down when the role goes we might leave that for another podcast Eccles I'm wondering how you got involved in this whole story because when I look at the background you're from Northern Ireland yeah yeah. you're from the bottom part of Ireland you're County Kerry and you're County Tyrone 70 miles outside of Belfast my understanding is in Ireland you guys never ever would have got together never would have chatted so can you go back where did you two meet where did this where did this bromance start yeah historically Kerry people would have been afraid of Tyrone people I think (laughs) and and, and, and not have come near us but uh, I get emotional when I still hear Tag's story around the space he was in in the power of a phone call and the power of helping out and reaching out for a mate so and he always shares that story and I think it takes bravery to share the story so thanks for that but where did it start there's photos of us going back both when we had hair in pubs together with drinks probably after a Swanies match so we kind of we bumped around the same social circles here in Australia for years we started playing six aside soccer together I really enjoyed Tag's company because most people see Tag Canelli the footballer and Tag Canelli the sports star and would speak to him about the Swannies and so on. But the conversations I was always having with Tag was around family, was around having was kids, was connection to home and always a little bit deeper. So we played six aside soccer for years and then it was whenever Tag got let go by by Sydney Swans that I started thinking that I know there's the the public tag that's the larrikin, but the private tag can be quite a deep thinker. So I was thinking it might be just in a moment of need. So reach out, 
it wasn't to start a movement like W now, it was to reach out as a friend just to see how we are. We were catching up for lunch every week. We were putting on a, too many kilos catching up for lunch every week and, <laughs> and, and he would never shout lunch. No. <laughs> so, so my wallet was getting hit. So uh, uh, then we it's, ended it's up tight, saying... Tight patty. So we ended up just flipping it and saying, hey, let's catch up for sunrise on a beach on a Wednesday morning. So we went from Friday nights and pubs to sunrises on a beach. Uh, and the first sunrise, we were on a beach. We went, hey, this is pretty good. You know, we should invite a mate along each next week. This is sounded like a Mills and Boone novel. We went from nightclubs to <laughs> walks and sunrises on the beach. It's beautiful. We'll put some backing music yeah. to this one. Quiz. <laughs> yeah, the most romantic moments of my life, perhaps, have been with this one. So, but, um, yeah, so it, it's it's just grew from there, you know. So we invited a mate along each the following week. And now it's 500 people across four locations. But 500 people, four locations. So I know you're in Maroubra, the original place. We were at Balmoral this morning. Bloody freezing. <laughs> like in, in Sydney, I know it's you know, moved to Norway if you think it's cold. But the wind chill factor this morning, but it was, it was awesome. And we got some footage, which we'll share with people as well. So you've got Maroubra, Balmoral, where we were. I know yeah. you've got the Gold Coast. And Bondi. And Bondi. Y- yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've Bondi launched as well. But Balmoral this morning, that was the coldest morning of the year. And it's also the uh, winter solstice tomorrow. So almost the darkest morning of the year. But that was record numbers in Balmoral this morning. So it's great to see people coming out. And each chapter is growing week by week. In the same Sydney Morning Herald article I was quoting before, as I'll call you now, Eccles said, we kind of realised, I'll try and, we kind of realised. <laughs> <laughs> Your parents be ashamed of <laughs> you. <laughs> we were close to giving you an Irish passport until that point, right? <laughs> it's terrible, isn't it? Uh, we'll put up subtitles for anyone who doesn't understand. Uh, we kind of realised that our wives would go to coffee with a friend and they would know everything about each other. But men, we go to the pub and we chat about the footy, but we don't really know everything about each other. Yeah, similar to Tag, so much admiration for my wife, Cynthia, but Tag and myself, or myself with other mates, Tag with other mates, we'd catch up in the pub, we'd watch the footy, and we'd kind of escape our problems rather than address our problems, but I'd arrive home and wake up on a Saturday morning, and this was, I'm now somebody that doesn't eat meat or drink alcohol, but this was back in the day, and Cynthia would be going, well, how's Tag? And i go, I... I don't have a clue, but the Swannies won last night and the beers were good, you know. Whereas Sin would be catching up with her mates or catching up with uh, Nicole, catching up with her mates. And they would meet over a coffee and they would have life's problems sorted or at least discussed in half an hour. And it was, we've heard Tag's story and how I helped Tag, but Tag's helped me out as much as I've helped him. I was going through. You were struggling at that time too, right? I was struggling at that time for sure. Yeah, my second was born Harper. I have now three kids as well, but my second was born during COVID. She's the apple of my eye now. She's my only girl. Can you have a favourite? <laughs> She's yeah, the apple I, of I my eye. I know the answer to this, but I want you to try and get it out on air so we can actually have some evidence and we can send this in. She's absolutely <laughs> my favourite daughter. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tell all my kids, uh, you're my favourite. And then Michaela, who's just turned 15, and Archie's 12, they were talking and they realised, you know Dad tells us that we're his favourite. Like, bastard. Archie came out and said, Dad, you're so bastard. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but Harper, who is my favourite girl, um, my only girl, the first year she didn't sleep, she was awake every hour, every two hours. Riley, my eldest boy, had sleep apnea, um, so he was often awake. 
uh, it was COVID, so we couldn't go anywhere. To, we had no outlets to get rid of the stress. So it was, it was a really difficult year, difficult on my wife. She was breastfeeding, difficult on myself. Nobody was sleeping in the house. But we'd be catching up with Tag either by phone when we couldn't meet or a coffee. And just his advice of being much older than I with wisdom uh, and three kids as well, just being able to say, mate, everything's just a phase, you know. Uh, it mightn't feel like a phase at the minute when you're in the middle of it. But trust me, it's just a phase. And then we came out of it as well. So his advice to me helped me probably through one of the darkest moments I've had also. And now you've created a, it's a movement. Yeah, it's, it is. And it's pretty strong. And I struggled a lot with the word well-being, you know, and trying to, it's being used. And it's, and, you know, a lot of people ask us, what is it? And, you know, um, trying to describe it or trying to help people to bring people down, you know, and, and we say it all the time. It's a min movement focused on social connection. Mm-hmm. And loneliness is a big problem in, in society. But at the time when it started, we really didn't know what we were doing. You know, we were inviting a mate and we were almost researching on the go and, and figuring out what it is we have and, and what's the, the, the piece of gold that we got in our hand. And the more we're involved in it, the less work I see in this area and the more work that's needed for, for men and, and, and loneliness and connection and, and suicide. And there's a lot of issues with where we're going right now around going to practitioners and, and, and medicine and let's let's try and get to the root of the problem before we get to that phase and get to that stage and you know we've spent two years almost working on a product as such I don't like saying that word either I find it sound very commercial you're on brand lads yeah. you've got right. the, the yeah. Yeah. <laughs> did, you didn't even like I've worn green yeah <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, I've got into Irish mode and neither of you bastards commented me <laughs> Hi again, it's Andrew, and I hope you really enjoyed that episode. We would appreciate if you helped to amplify the Performance Intelligence podcast by sharing episodes with your friends and with your colleagues by going to iTunes and leaving a rating and review. This really does help get the message out to a wider audience, and I love reading the comments as well. If you'd like to know more about booking me as a speaker at your next annual conference or company offsite, or purchasing one of the books I've written, including Matchfit, or if you'd just like to receive my monthly e-newsletter, which is called the AM Edition, that has stacks of information specific to all things human performance, go to andrewmay.com. And we'll see you on the next edition of Performance Intelligence.